Working Wife, Happy Life listeners. I hope you all have found some peace and rest over this holiday season and a happy, happy new year to you all. Ours was quiet and odd in that celebrations were either subdued or non-existent, but looking for the silver linings of more time with my kids while they still want to be with me. And so it is the new year. It's 2021. We made it through 2020, and now I know we're all looking at our goals and our journeys, whether it's personal or professional or financial or health-related. Tis the season for taking stock of your life and thinking about what's next. Or maybe you're happy or satisfied with exactly where you are, which is absolutely incredible, And I honor you, and I request that you please DM me with some tips. As I spoke with today's guest toward the end of last year, I knew this was going to be our first episode of 2021. For those of us that are thinking about our lives as worker bees, uh, perhaps we're at the mid-stage of our careers, thinking about what's next, how we contribute beyond our day-to-day, or transition all of our learnings and wisdom into a new direction for ourselves, this one is for you. Coco Brown is the founder and CEO of the Athena Alliance, which is a digital ecosystem and platform designed around community, learning, and access to opportunity for the top women in business. Throughout this conversation, we cover the many resources found through the Athena Alliance, as well as Coco's POV on how corporate governance boards are strategically evolving, as well as new formalized recommendations addressing diversity on boards. We also discussed the challenges of being the quote-unquote only, whether it's at the senior ranks within your company or when committing to board service. Learn about Coco's impressive career journey, her mission to create a community that she herself was craving, girl after my own heart, and her killer negotiation years ago that turned her from a soon-to-be stay-at-home mom to the primary earner for her family. Enjoy this fantastic and inspiring conversation with Coco Brown of the Athena Alliance. When it goes, I miss the way we were young and insecure. We've grown and I've known that I'd be alone. As your son is All right, Coco Brown, I'm so excited we made this work for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I I say us as if it's not just me and my dog here. Um, The huge team behind Working Wife, Happy Life. Uh, We are a very professional production. Um, But thank you so much. It's so great to have you. You are the CEO and and founder of the Athena Alliance. uh, And you were introduced to me by Tammy Foreman, who is the uh, CEO of Path Forward and was one of our previous guests on the podcast. That's right. I love it. I love how the worlds just connect and the networking just continues, even though none of us can actually see each other anymore. Well, and I was introduced to Tammy by Matt Bloomberg from Bolster. From where? From Bolster, if you're familiar. It's his newest endeavor. I'm forgetting what he did prior, but um, he's also engaged with Tammy uh, in some way on this um, oh, on the path forward stuff. Yes, on the path forward stuff. She may have mentioned him during the. Um, there was somebody that she was speaking about who was really instrumental in getting that launched. So maybe that was him. I'll have to go back and listen. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. Oh, cool. So, can you share with us a little? Tell us a little bit about 
um, what Athena Alliance is, what your mission is. Um, I was devouring all the incredible content on your site, but would love to hear in your own words. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll do a little bit of a flip on it. That's That wouldn't be what you would interpret necessarily from our site. Um, first of all, set aside the idea that we're exclusively for women for a moment, um, which is hard to do because we are exclusively for women. But if you do, <laughs> if you do um, it, the the real you know the real deal behind Athena is that when you think about the senior most realm of business leadership, the C suite and the boardroom, there isn't a practical pragmatic, at your fingertips, exactly when you need it, ecosystem for learning and constant development. And what I mean by that is you can go get your executive MBA or you can attend conferences. Oftentimes conferences are very role-specific or industry-specific. But mm -hmm. who's teaching you? about what's going on in, in the C-suite in the boardroom. How do you read a cap table? How does executive compensation work? What are different rounds of funding all about? Um, how does the CEO get evaluated? What's the CEO succession plan and how does that work? You know, all these things that are across the entirety of the organization is what I call overarching stewardship of business. There isn't really a domain that's like a Khan Academy-like experience for senior executives. Um, yeah. Are you familiar with Khan Academy? Yes, totally. And that's such a great analogy. Yeah, it was liberating, right, to kids and students, or to kids and parents and also teachers. So Athena exists to really help women master that domain, whether they're in it or reaching for it, so that they're not having to um, drink from the fire hose when they finally get get there, right? It's sort of like astronaut training. How do you know you're going to not just survive, but thrive in space as a, as a, as a bio, you know, scientist, let's say, um, if you haven't experienced zero gravity and learned how to eat with your suit on and learned how to do your work with your suit on. So that's part of what Athena does is we mm -hmm. provide pragmatic learning through virtual salons that we do three times a week. Um, they're deep hands-on learning about the kinds of things I mentioned a minute ago. And in addition to that, we record them, we edit them, and they become part of this rich library. We now have hundreds of pieces of content that's all that stuff and more. Um, and it's immediately at your fingertips when you need it. And kind of the subtext is it's all created by women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the other side of Athena is think of us as a walled garden around LinkedIn, where the most valuable person in the ecosystem isn't so far removed from the least valuable. I hate using that language, but we're in this tight realm of senior leadership. So everyone has something to offer somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so we're generally speaking, vice president level and above, and we're all six degrees of separation to what each of us wants to achieve, move forward, advance, get access to just right there within our own ecosystem. We have that ability to go from six degrees to one. So mm -hmm. we're like that LinkedIn, everyone can find everyone else. We're totally discoverable. And yet we have humans in loop behind the scene, making connections happen at the right time for both sides. So it's not a cold calling sort of digital ecosystem. It brings the warmth of human networks into the picture. 
And then the last piece of Athena is access to opportunity. And so that's where, you know, we're trying to get our hands on board seats, board roles and CXO roles and and exclusive speaking opportunities. And we want to be the attendees at the right events and be in all the right places at the right time. And so Athena, in that sense, is kind of like a Hollywood agent, if you will. We're mm-hmm. making sure our women are seen and we're also drawing opportunity to us that we present to them and show them, you know, how to we show them their likely percent match to those opportunities and then encourage them to put themselves forward for whatever, for whatever they would like. So, so, so community learning and access to opportunity. I think it's, it's such an amazing package altogether because, you know, there's this concept of it being lonely at the top. Um, and most companies do not, you know, I'm fortunate working for Google. We do invest a lot in, in, furthering the education, the skills of our executives, but there's a lot of companies that don't, they just assume you've gotten there. They don't make the investment. You have to seek it out on your own. And you also don't have a lot of networking opportunities or connection opportunities or access opportunities outside of that circle, particularly if you've been in the same company for a while, your, your network starts to get a little bit incestuous. Um, so I love this idea of being able to connect with other people in a more meaningful and direct way versus, you know, the, the broader tool, like, like a LinkedIn. Um, I, I, you know, I saw a stat on your site that's popping out in my head that this is why this is such a critically big deal. And it's that there are 5,000 CEOs in San Francisco alone. And of those only 250 are women. So you would need 17 San Francisco's to create that same community of CEOs for women that men enjoy. That's right. And that's a really powerful visual when you think about how valuable your network is to whatever your next opportunity is, um, whatever, you know, your ability to brainstorm troubles, uh, your ability to think about your business more broadly as it connects to other businesses, create partnerships, et cetera. We just don't have the same type of network access and ease that men do. That's exactly right. And and because men have that access and ease, they can be each other's beta customer, be references, refer each other to the right, whatever, lawyer, accountant. And so there's the ability to reach out and, and tap someone in the physical world very, very easily for men. And for mm-hmm. women, it's not that we don't have that power on our own. It's that we have to exercise it in the digital community in order to have it because we aren't yet at the critical masses within our four walls and within our geographies or within our role or within our industry. But if you take away all those barriers, there are over 600,000 women in just the U.S. alone that are uh, at the vice president level and above in companies of over 500 employees. And that doesn't even count, let's say, my friend Christine Heckert, who's the CEO of Scalar, which is maybe a couple hundred employees, but nonetheless, she's been on a Fortune 200 board and she's super powerful, right? So there's a million women out there and mm-hmm. we just have to put them in the digital ecosystem for them to feel their power in the way that men have it in the physical world. And there's also, I would imagine there's still, so those numbers are inspiring and, and uplifting, but I'm sure that's still a dearth compared to men in VP plus levels across the, the country and so there is this like discoverability issue, but there's also this issue of, 
you know, either an underinvestment or a lack of advancement where you have a bunch of people that are ready for bigger opportunities, more responsibility, more exposure, um, but may not be getting discovered because, you know, they're, frankly, their title is maybe a deflation of the work that they do or the potential that they have. Mm -hmm. How do you see that playing out? Like, this is, for a long while, it was my assumption, and now I've kind of seen it you know, confirmed in many spaces that a lot of women are tapped based on their experience, where a lot of men tend to be tapped based on their potential. Um, how do you see that type of notion, if you agree with it, kind of playing out in the needs of, of your community? Well, I think we suffer in part by things like, like if you think about a bell curve, right? Men at the top have such critical mass that there's a true bell curve. We can look around us and see mediocrity at the top. <laughs> sure <can. laughs> and it's fine, right? And so the idea of, of elevating a man for his potential, it's like, well, that's fine. Because there's not, you know, there, there's a true bell curve there. There's enough of a mass there that people aren't thinking about that as critically as they do with women. Where we don't have a bell curve, so what you think of are the true outliers that are, you know, really horrific, like... Um, you know, the Farinos story, or really fabulous standouts like a Michelle Obama, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you don't you don't have this sort of normalcy that yeah. women can just sort of strive to normalcy and be considered for normalcy. And I think the 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 problem with that then too is in addition, there's this belief that there's a pipeline problem. And what I would say is there is not a pipeline problem. There is a pipeline difference. However, if you see a pipeline problem and you don't expect to see women in, you know, your candidate pool, um, the potential pool, whatever it is, if you don't expect to see them, you're not surprised when you don't see them, right? So you don't mm -hmm. push the envelope and say, oh, well, I'm sure they're out there. You're just not looking hard enough. Um, and then when you do see them, you are surprised to see them. And therefore you look at them more critically with caution. And in fact, Harvard Business School did a um, study about this, and they showed that, for example, if you bring just one woman forward to consider for a role, she's guaranteed not to get the job because she's an outlier. She looks funny, you know, mm -hmm. like she doesn't look, she looks like something to be approached with caution and to be considered more carefully. So I, you know, I think the, the problem women have is largely Yes, it's bias, it's entrenched sort of um, behaviors and processes and ways of thinking about things, which is in part also why I say, okay, look, we could either be fighting that battle externally or we can, or we can do some stuff for each other internally. Mm -hmm. if we have mass of our own, you yeah. know, 200 of the women that are part of Athena are on notable massive boards, right? So there's 200 boards right there that we know. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a matter of sort of focusing on what you can control. And that's where where I kind of, you know, I, and also not underestimating how much power we actually have and how much we can contribute. For, for example, what I mean by that is our learning that we're doing with all these salons, mm -hmm. the ones that are about what goes on in the boardroom, women are brought to the boardroom from non-traditional angles. They're there's chief marketing officers and CIOs and um, heads of sales and CHROs. And so 
in a lot of ways, the biggest innovation and forward thinking changes to what's going on in the boardroom are being led by women. So women teaching women about this stuff is actually great because they are on the forefront of change. So again, sort of focus on what you can tr- control and realize how much power you have and leverage leverage that power. It's just that it needs to be in a digital world. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because that's been my mantra this whole year has been like, I can only control what I can control. And some days that makes me feel really good. Some days it makes me feel overwhelmed because I realize I can't control very much. Um, but there's this concept of, of numbers and the power of numbers and the power of our community. And I would argue that, um, you know, women tend to create very deep and very meaningful connections with one another. Um, and the more that we have platforms or organizations that help us mobilize as a collective group, the more impact we can have. And, you know, I think about when, when you talk about board work, there's a couple things like I believe last year, California uh, either passed a law or made a ruling that, uh, you know, people had to have at least one woman on their board. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you saw NASDAQ is trying to push mm-hmm. for any of their 3000 listed companies, I think, to have. Uh, both one woman and one uh, marginalized community member on their board. Um, how, in your opinion, how important are like those types of systemic changes to pair with the type of work that you're doing? Well, so let's break it down a little bit. So um, the California SB 8, 826 is um, the the why was that meaningful? Because it actually affected 732 companies. I'm, I'm off maybe by a company or two, but it's not a massive number of companies. But the reason why it's so powerful is because it made the conversation a household conversation, you know, where my mm-hmm. family members are like, oh my gosh, Coco, what you're working on is actually <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. And <laughs> so that raised awareness to the individual level. And that helped to push things in other realms where employees are now saying, well, how many women do you have on your board? And these are in private companies, right? Or in smaller companies that aren't affected by about that ruling. And so so sometimes what you need is that, you know, that sort of tip of the spear that that does get things moving. Mm-hmm. And but some of the bigger things are are like when Goldman Sachs came out and said, look, we're not going to take a company, we're not going to underwrite a company to take it public if it doesn't have diversity on its board. Now that sends a message to the private companies. Who's Mm -hmm. aware of that? Generally speaking, later stage private companies. But the more these different entities do something, NASDAQ is one of the two big, you know, stock exchanges in, in the US. So now NASDAQ is saying, you know, this is our guidance to the SEC. It hasn't been approved yet. But why is that so meaningful? Well, that's meaningful because 80% of public companies are actually small and uh, small cap. And, you know, a, 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 a notable number of them are actually micro cap. And what that, what that means is they have less than a $2 billion market cap, I believe. So, and $2 billion is a lot. That's a, right. that's a lot in terms of most companies. But we pay attention to, oh, we now have 26 women, 26% of board seats held by women in the Russell 3000. Yes, but if you look at the broad base of the entire landscape, 
There are 20,000 companies in the U.S. with over 500 employees. That's 140,000 board seats probably. Mm -hmm. There's actually twice as many ESOPs as there are public companies. And an ESOP is an employee stock-owned company. It's where a, a owner or a couple of owners sold their company to the employees, and that process is managed by a trustee. And that trustee often requires independent directors on the board. Well, most people don't even know this, right? Interesting. So, yeah. So I would say, you know, what's happening now is the more entities you see coming out and saying this matters to us, NASDAQ, State Street, BlackRock, Goldman, you know, um, state rules, the more uh, momentum is behind the issue for the that, that helps women with the laggards. The cutting edge companies are catching on. It's it's more the the sort of like, why do I have to do it? I'm not in the public eye. <laughs> you right. know, I'm just fine without fly it. Under, fly under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, wh what is your background, by the way, your professional background? Like, how did you, how did Athena Alliance, I, I want to get back to talking about the, the issues you're trying to solve, but I'm so curious people's paths and kind of how they, uh, find this calling and and create something out of nothing. I'm just so curious your background. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so <laughs> so I was a psychology major and I graduated from college. I went to Penn. I graduated from college in 1992. So it's been 28 years. <laughs> so we don't need to do math on this podcast. This is not a math <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I just don't know. Like, unless you get a PhD in psychology, do you ever get to even, you know, credit that? But um, anyway, so I, 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 did, I did psychology. I did psychology and sociology <laughs> as an undergrad, and I just think it makes me interested in people, and that's what I. Yeah, that's what I absolutely. I so I every business actually that I've created or or led or been a part of is a people-based business ultimately um increasingly they're equally tech company um but so i started my career in human resources it kind of moved up through the the ladder um i ended up i in a professional services on the hr side uh, company and then ended up uh running um training and development for a uh computer-based company called uh NetFrame back in the day, back in the 90s, and um, really loved working with the engineers. Uh, one thing led to another, and I ended up in a professional services company that was in the deep infrastructure space. I'm talking servers and networks and databases and, you know, um, cloud and data centers and all of that Google-like stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And we were flying high by the, by 1999, I became the vice president of professional services for that company, which, you know, being a professional services company meant that most all of the company reported to me. We were about 750 employees, about hundred million in revenue, um, at the peak of the dot-com boom, 63rd floor of the Chrysler building, just overlooking the gargoyles, you know, like just wow. really flying high. Yeah. And then Crush, the dot-com bust. It. Yeah. yeah so early it. in your career. Yeah. Good for I you. I know. I know. And I never thought about my being a woman during any of that time. And then such, I- Such a blissful time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't remember many people thinking about being a woman in business in the 90s, but I think- We weren't talking about it. We weren't it was, talking about it. Yeah. Totally. And then- Sorry. Yeah. No. But then in 2000, um, 2001, I- I had my my first child, and um, and this will be a little bit of a nod to 
to your focus in general, which is, you know, my baby came along in, in July. My baby's now 19. And, oh, and, so he <laughs> and the crash was like in full swing. So I'm laying off 90% of our staff over the course of three rounds of layoffs. It was brutal mm. and having a baby and, and, um, and, and the two owners of the company who had been in retirement um, and had came out of retirement, I barely knew them. And they said, hey, Coco, we fired the CEO. Welcome back from maternity leave. Would you do a turnaround with us? <laughs> we are now a shell of ourselves. We were about 75 employees from 750 and um, about 10 million run rate. So I said, sure, but here's the deal. <laughs> um, First of all, while I was on maternity leave, my husband and I bought a Vanagon and we had decided that. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Yeah. He, he worked while I was on maternity leave. I was going to come back and work a few more months and then I was going to quit. We we're going to take off with our bouncing baby boy and just travel the country in our Vanagon. And instead I got the golden handcuffs. The two guys came back yeah. and said, Hey, we want to turn around our company, stay with us. And I said, okay, but my husband's quitting his job then. And he's going to stay with our son. And so um, they get to travel with me. We're going all around the country, shutting down offices, talking to bankruptcy lawyers. They get to travel with me because I'm going to nurse my child. I actually nursed my son until he was three. A lot of people think that's crazy. Mm -hmm. although I think it's less crazy now, but it was crazy then. Think of all the money you saved. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, my daughter bit me, so she didn't get that long. <laughs> you don't see You don't mess with us. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so long story short, I ended up running that company. I was the president and COO by 2003. And um, we were, the CEO and I landed a big deal with Applied Materials that was about $9 million plus over three years, and it saved us. And so then at that point, I started diversifying the business and becoming the um, managed services division and sort of expanding uh, the kinds of services we offered and project-based services, et cetera. And then I took this breath and I realized, this was about 2005, that it was always funny walking into different rooms and sort of seeing everybody look at me oddly, you know, but I was in my early 30s and I looked like I was in my 20s. I, I love that I have youthful a youthful look now that I just turned 50. But back then, that was a challenge. Almost all of our staff, sysadmins, network engineers, database administrators, you know, we're talking early 2000s. They were almost all men. You could count the women that were in mm -hmm. those roles um, on your, you know, two hands. And then in addition to that, almost all of our clients, CIOs, VP of infrastructure, were all men. Sure. So here I was looking young. I'm in a man's world and I've never touched a line of code in my entire life. <laughs> so, so I had got my own version of imposter syndrome and that is the origin story of Athena, truthfully. Like when you ask, you know, how did I end up with Athena or what's my background? It's, it's my imposter syndrome. I, I had that moment of realization that not only were women, you know, hugely underrepresented in tech and STEM, but in leadership. And so I started collecting female leaders around me. And at that time, because of the business, I collected CIOs. So women like Jerry Martin Flickinger, who's now the CTO of Starbucks, and um, 
Christine Vonderak, who's the CIO of Recology, and um, you know various various other women equally uh, powerful and amazing that are at AWS as big leaders now, or um, one is on the board of PG&E and et cetera. And I started hosting dinner groups. So that went on for 10 years. And I stepped down from running Taos. I was the only report to the CEO. The whole business reported to me. And I did that for 10 years and then decided I stepped down, stayed on the board a couple of years, and then sold my interest to the other two guys and turned my dinner group into this um, digital platform and ecosystem for women. That's, I mean, it's amazing that you just built something that you knew you needed because you weren't getting it where, where you were at. And then you realized that this is probably not something you were struggling with on your own and build it into an entire community. Yeah. And I, I was surprised to learn that in places where you think, you know, like the legal profession, you see equal numbers of men and women or healthcare, but once it gets into the senior ranks, partner or um, you know, admin hospital administrators, it's women just fall off. Mm-hmm. And that it had to happen for me to realize it and then to start investigating and talking to other women. And Athena is not just for, you know, women in, in tech. We are women in every industry and across all roles. And it's the same problem everywhere. I was going to say, it's so interesting. I was just talking to two educators this morning, well, educators and administrators, and it's the same in the education system. You have a predominantly female workforce, but once you get into the senior level, superintendent, administrative roles uh, or administrator roles, it's mostly men. Right. Um, and and that's, uh, you know, it's in every industry. And we talk a lot about it in tech. And I think it's because tech has been so vocal about um, their company cultures just from the beginning. Right. It's it's a recruitment tool. It's everything down from the, the food to the benefits to all that stuff. So it seems like a natural extension of that conversation in, in this industry. Um, but every industry has this, that's just, they're all on different kind of levels of the curve of whether or not they're talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I do. I do feel like there is some meaningful shifts that are happening both in, you know, the, the common sense lens and just understanding as humanity, as hopefully most of us are that perspectives other than our own are super valuable, but I also feel like there's been so many studies about the the bottom lines of of you know women on boards and women in leadership um, that it's becoming so hard to deny, um, and I just don't see a ton of companies getting it right. And I'm just curious with your the work that you do, and because you're you know kind of seeing things at more of a um, thirty thousand foot view in your community that you're probably able to see perspectives from various different areas. Do you see specific sectors or specific companies where you feel like they're doing some real meaningful work and, and they're getting things right? Or do you think everyone's struggling through this? I think that, I think that those that are getting it right, it it's, it's because in some way it's intuitive or it's, for the top leader, it's an imperative. Um, you know, I would say people like Alex Schutman, who's the CEO of Workfront, who, he just sold Workfront to Adobe. 
you know, I, I had a, I had the pleasure of having the converse, a conversation with the CEO of Waste Management, which is a huge organization. And he, he had a diverse board before anybody told him he had to, you know, and, and when I asked him about it, he said, well, I always worked for great female bosses. I just didn't think about it. So I think, you know, there's definitely, definitely still holdouts. And when the holdouts are there, they're largely focused on, I don't, you know, saying, I don't see gender or race. I see the best person for the job. I'm just hiring the best person for the job. And they, they're sort of missing the idea that, um, you know, that maybe they're hiring, they think they're hiring the right way. And in fact, actually they're hiring the wrong way. Sort of that, you know, the, the movie Moneyball. And <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe you're looking at the problem the wrong way. Right. Um, or, or they just find the, um, all of the research too removed, you know, they argue correlation, not causation. They're like, well, you can't tell me that it's actually causing that bottom line effect. Mm-hmm. It's just correlated. And so, so, but you know, where, where I have, where I see and why I said set aside for a moment that Athena's for women is because I really don't see until recently anybody doing it right in the sense that we, we're only just now, and this is going to really offend people who've been in the boardroom for a long time, but we're only really just now professionalizing the board as a competitive advantage for the business and as a steward mm-hmm. of the long run. It used to be a place that you would go to retire, to share your wisdom, to sail into the sunset. And so you could be there till you had really no value at all any longer. And um, it's almost sort of Supreme Court justice, kind of like you could stay there forever. And people would feel badly about not, you know, this is your last hurrah. We're not going to kick him off the board. And yet, if you look at PwC studies, half half of board members believe there's at least one person who should go. So it's only just now that the companies are thinking more holistically about what is the board, what's its purpose for the long view, how should it be structured to really care for all of the elements of the business, not just the financial ones. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's at the heart of solving the problem. It's not a do I have one black woman and one white woman and, you know, uh, somebody who actually I have a black woman who is LGBTQ. Awesome. I've just covered three bases. You know, like it, I can check off three boxes. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, it's just uh, the wrong way to look at it. it yeah. Yeah. No, I, lo- I actually love that concept that you just shared, because if if so, I, it's something just. I'm, I'm personally starting to think more seriously about board service myself. And it, I am just curious your perspective and and your advice uh, for those that are interested, because it's, it's not, you know, there's, there's some warts to the work, but I really like this, this notion that you're uncovering of how, you know, companies are thinking about their boards as much more, um, like, bigger like institutional influences, if that's the right way to say it, where it's maybe says more about your company than it did in the past in terms of how you're making up that board and how you're thinking about who sits on that. 
And what, uh, like, what would you say to people who are either in that mid-career or late career thinking about board service that might be, you know, different than what they would expect it to be? Well, so I'll give another thought exercise as a way of sort of framing it. Um, most, so I think the median tenure of CEOs is five years, which means half of them don't last five years. It might be six years now. It might have bumped up a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, if you look at most um, investor, the public market is investing for the long term. The, the pensions that are behind the large institutional investors, CalSTRS, the teachers unions, fire worker unit unions, all of these, they're investing for a business that's going to be around for the long haul. Mm -hmm. And the same holds for ESOPs. You know, if you've sold your company to your employee base, they want to know that that's a multi-generational company that they can continue to make a wealth, wealth from. Um, Family-owned businesses or, you know, small um is small sort of lifestyle businesses, not necessarily the same, um, but private companies owned by private equity or venture capital, they're looking to trade up and everybody that they're trading up to is paying more and more attention to what's going to happen when it's on a public market. And all of that is to say, then, if you think about the board, the board is responsible for ensuring that the strategy of the company is stewarded to success and that the company is healthy for the long run, and that the and that when the CEO does need to be replaced, that they understand that, and that they make that replacement, and, and et cetera. So they are a collective that will be together as a collective ongoing. Individual people can come and go, but that collect collective lasts longer than that CEO. And, and so when you think of that collective, the best way to think about it is, that collective represents, you know, sort of an almost mirror image, the, the executive team of that company, but at the point of scale or achievement at the next level of horizon. So if I'm a $100 million company and I'm thinking about my next point on the horizon is I want to become a billion-dollar company in, in, um, that's multinational and has moved into three different product streams uh, in healthcare and whatever, whatever, my board should represent the ability to, should look like maybe not that billion dollar company, but should look at like a $500 million company. They come from scale. They come from that multinational national experience. They come from those different markets that you need to address. And that opens up a ton of room for women because mm. it used to be that people would say, well, did you run a P&L? Were you at least a general manager? Are you a CEO or do you have financial expertise? And if mm -hmm. you can't answer those three questions, then you might as well just go home. <laughs> but that's not true any longer. You can have product expertise. You can have a lot of different kinds of expertise, but you, you do need to have you, you need to be multidimensional. You need to have seen right. many parts of the organization and, and been, you know, shown leadership at a, at an executive level, but you don't need to have been a CEO or CFO. Yeah. I think that's, what's so interesting because I had done a program, um, and there's a lot of programs out there for any listeners that are interested where you can go and learn much more deep about, um, 
about board service, and I'm assuming, and I'd love to hear what's available um, on the Athena Alliance uh, mm-hmm. site. But it's that was something that came across to me. I was in a room full of CFOs. Um, a lot of those CFOs had presented to their board. Like I'm not presenting to the Google board. There's, there's everybody's got a different kind of scenario and a different value prop. And I think to me, what's been so valuable is thinking about what is my unique value proposition, even though I don't have these other things, what are the things that are unique that only I could have because of what I'm working on or what I've done in my past. And that's where I I like the creativity. I like the open-mindedness that it sounds like this, um, you know, this kind of new premise is trending. Um, Right. So go ahead. No, absolutely. And I think the other thing that, that people sort of uh, don't, don't see and see broadly enough is that there are companies at all different stages. So maybe, you know, you take some starter boards that, that a board of a series, a funded venture capital, venture capital funded company might be super happy to have somebody who has experience scaling strategic partnerships and revenue analytics from a Google of the world to help them sort of think through their next new business market, right? Like it's, it's not a, it's not a one size fits all. Um, uh, you know, the, the board of, um, Best Buy might need somebody who has a, a, a lot of, uh, VP or SVP or C-suite level experience in a different way, but that's Best Buy, right? So there's, there's a continuum. Yeah. So I would love to hear, like, what would you say to, to our users that are thinking about, um, they want to get involved with Athena Alliance. Is this something where you would recommend waiting until you're a VP coming in and digesting some of your content as they think about their next career moves, getting toward VP? Um, what type of engagement would you recommend? Well, so Athena is designed very much to give women training and connection and access to the C-suite in the boardroom. And so if you're not there, you know, at that VP ranks or above, it's, it, it's, it's probably appropriate to wait. Mm-hmm. Some companies though, um, the large companies, a, a director or senior director can be just as strong as a VP at a, you know, a, a, a 500 person company, right? So it, right. it's a little bit of a challenge to just cut off a title. It's sure. a bit more about proximity. Like if you, you know, hold a director title at Google, that may be a vice president title at um, a later stage startup, right? And so that could be um, a pre-IPO company. So that that would be completely appropriate if you if you can you know kind of translate there. It's it's more about where would you head next? You know, what are yeah. you are you ready for that next leap into the boardroom and the C-suite? And for folks who are thinking about it um, in terms of you know maybe this is me in ten years. It sounds like there's probably not specific paths you would guide them down, which may have been advice you would have heard 20 years ago about make sure you get close to the finances or make sure you get close to HR. Um, is that does that still hold, or would you would you still recommend those types of paths if they think this is something they'll want in the future? No, I think that I think that what I would recommend is getting an opportunity to be 
multidimensional. It doesn't mean that you have to have like finance and then HR. And the, but um, if you get a, an opportunity to go take an assignment overseas and run a portion of the business overseas, go do that. Or, yeah. you know, if you get the opportunity to go take on a piece of new business that is um, kind of the skunk works within the company, uh, within a massive company, you know, think about that. Just think about how you can break out of being one dimensional if you are and mm -hmm. get more of a, a broad dimensional view of the business that, that I think is valuable. Um, but it's not, it's not, there's lots of people on boards who are not financial experts any longer, or, um, you know, they're product experts, they're market right. experts, they're other kinds of expert. Yep. No, I love all this. And, and I do want to be cognizant of your time. And I can't believe that I didn't chime in when you were saying that you uh, went back and negotiated your way into an awesome setup with your newborn and your husband, your husband uh, decided to become a full-time dad uh, at that stage, because that's obviously very much part and parcel to a lot of what we cover on this podcast. Um, but I've been so fascinated because I feel like the whole area of, of board service and C-level appointments is very much a black box for women. Um, and that's why I think platforms like Athena Alliance and the work that you're doing to not only expose more information, but to create those pathways and create those meaningful uh, connections is so critical uh, to to being able to take advantage of some of the systemic changes that are going to hopefully get pushed through, um, at least from a messaging perspective on some of these larger organizations. Well, and I'd be happy to do uh, a part two to talk about, you know, my husband and I've been together for 21 years. So we've experienced all of these it's really challenging to be a stay-at-home dad and then to figure out your way back into the workforce. And he now works for Databricks, which uh, is pre-IPO. Um, so it's, you know, it's been kind of a roller coaster, but I, I definitely see that the, the female, the woman being the breadwinner and all the challenges there, and then, you know, the identity issues and, and whatnot that the stay-at-home person has to face and the challenges of trying to get back into it. It's, 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 it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's not insignificant, but I love I love that story that he's he's working now again and got back into the workforce after your children are are grown up. Um, and I think that's something that I try to communicate so much to my community because so many women find themselves as the breadwinner without intending to. And I think there's so much to unpack, you know, particularly those first few years. And I always remind people that like life is going to surprise you and things are going to ebb and flow and they're going to change and evolve and it's what keeps it interesting. You know, I think if it was just all set in stone from day one, that would be a very, very boring existence. Um, but it, I think it's so great that, you know, I, I so look forward to when we can actually have a coffee or a glass of wine together and, yes. and hear the story or do a part two, um, because I do think it's really critical uh, particularly to recognize the struggles that men go through too. Um, women have a lot of space and a lot of platforms to talk about their feelings and how they're, you know, approaching, uh, their work life balance and all of these things. So it's not that it's not challenging. It certainly is. I'm just saying we have more space and more societal, uh, permission to talk about it than men do. And I think that's what can be really, really isolating in those roles, um, and, and challenges. And that's why, you know, just to 
bring it all back to what Tammy kind of connected us, you know, with Path Forward, this way to how you get back into the workforce and get back to that identity if it's something that you want, um, I think is really gender neutral and yeah. it should be. Yep. I agree with you completely. So. Well, Coco, thank you so much. Um, we will, uh, I'll, if uh, any of the listeners want to engage with your content, it's athenaalliance.org. Is that correct? It's actually now athenaalliance.com. As of, uh, yes, we're, we've transitioned to a commercial entity, which. Congrats. It's a whole other conversation. I was going to say, <laughs> all right, now we have part three of the podcast, Coco. I think you're going to need to be my co-host soon. <laughs> that sounds fun. Then, then I can say our team and it can be true. It's not just me and the dog. I have a dog also. So yeah. Okay. Well, we'll have four, <laughs> a team of four. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing and for making the time to connect with our community. Thank you. This has been fun. Right. Take care. Okay, you too. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. Mm -hmm.